You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 30. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to the show where we clean up the highway of cultural conversation. It's a messy job, but somebody's got to do it. And today, I think we're going to talk about uh, Thomas's interesting morning. Thomas, tell me about your morning. I had a bit of a religious experience. Uh, I now understand why Tesla's stock is so valuable, despite the fact that they are not uh, selling hardly any cars. <laughs> because, So to explain what I mean, I want to go back to, I remember studying in high school, people describing riding on a train for a first for the first time. So imagine your whole life, the fastest you've ever moved is on a horse. And let's say you're not a horse rider. So you only moved at a trot, maybe just a walk is the fastest you've ever moved. You've never galloped, you've never raced on a horse. So you've moved at maybe, let's say, eight miles an hour max, 10 miles an hour max. And then you get on a train that hurdles down a track at 40 miles an hour. And you're like, oh my gosh, I am going to die. And I remember reading a poem that somebody wrote about just the exhilarating experience of riding on a train at 40 miles an hour. Now for us, riding on a train at 40 miles an hour is not at all remarkable. Because we ride regularly along the highway at 60 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, if you have access to the Texas Autobahn, uh, without breaking any speed limit laws. And so 40 miles an hour does not seem at all remarkable. And uh, But when you have such a big leap in technology, suddenly you realize how the whole world is going to change. So a listener of the show, a friend of mine, Kevin, uh, invited me over to test drive his brand new Tesla Model S car. So, first off, we have the best listeners in all of podcasting. Uh, no one has better listeners than us. Um, Thomas, but... I don't know if Kevin realizes that you have a co-host. <clears throat> Just saying. <laughs> Continue with your story. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin, if you want to see how that car really drives, uh, have a former city cop drive it. He has had uh, special training. Um, but anyway, the um, so, so we get in this car, and it was so obviously a car made by a computer company rather than a car made by a car company. And it was like stepping into something from the future. Uh, car companies make these tiny evolutionary changes where each year is hardly any different from the year before. And you really have to go back decades before you really see cars that are that different. I mean, they have really minor, subtle changes. This was not like that. <laughs> it was um, First off, all of the knobs and gadgets and like dials and controls were all gone. There was not a single control or button anywhere on the cockpit. And that allowed it to have this entire uh, dashboard it was effectively one giant air conditioning vent. And let me tell you, it could blow cold air. Like in Texas, you've always wanted your entire life a car to be able to blow cold air, um, which is really fascinating because it doesn't really need it because it's all driven. The car is all driven by your phone. You can turn on your car from your phone. You can turn on the AC from your phone. So while you're walking out to your car in the parking lot, it's already cooling itself down. So you're not burning yourself on the buckles. Um, there was no park. The car parks itself automatically or gets into park mode. Once you step on the brakes, it just, you know, puts a little hold icon and it's perfectly silent because it's an all electric car and it's torque, which is the like the feeling of being pushed back in your seat when you step on the gas. 
There's no lag when you step on the gas, so you're instantly pushed into the back of your seat. And it was an experience that I've only experienced in a car one other time, and that was riding on a friend's uh, Aston Martin. I think it was a $150,000 or $200,000 Aston Martin. And Tesla has achieved similar driving experience with their like bottom-of-the-line or second-from-the-bottom-of-the-line car, in my not-professional car-driving opinion. And um, the entire car was controlled by this computer screen where you could change the music. It was normally when you were driving, it was a giant map. It knows where you are at all times. So if you, and it knows what the speed limit is. And so I turned on granny mode uh, where it just dings. If you go over the speed limit, which let me tell you when it accelerates as fast as that car does, it's very helpful. (laughs) You're you're four seconds into your drive and you're already at 60 miles an hour. It's uh, really easy to speed. And um, I, I was almost shaking when I got out of it. It was, it was an unbelievable experience. And the um, there's a trunk in the front cause it doesn't have an engine and there's a trunk in the back that's giant. And basically it's just one big battery and it's the future of cars. Like it's so superior in every way to a gasoline car and all of these minor and subtle ways that are together, very evolutionary. It's very obvious that this is what all cars are going to be in the future. I mean, it, it just, to me, it seems so clear. And I think, it's so clear to the investors in Wall Street. That's why Tesla is worth more than Ford, despite the fact that Ford sells, you know, many, many, many times more cars than Tesla does. Um, I remember the Ford uh, CEO, you know, t- uh, Elon Musk was congratulating his team for getting into 5,000 cars a week. And Ford CEO was like, yeah, we do that an hour. We do that a day or, you know, some, he's like, I'm really proud of my team who makes, you know, 5,000 cars every four hours. I don't know what the numbers specifically were, but uh, it was that same kind of deal. But it's like, yeah, but you're making buggies. You're making horse buggies. And yeah, you make them really well and you make a whole bunch of them, but they're not the future. And I will say studying the car industry back when the automotive industry was just getting started was the best days of the buggy industry because a lot of the technologies that led to cars had been making horse-drawn carriages much better than they'd ever been before. Higher quality, uh, cheaper, faster, all of these things that, you know, things, business things often get really good before they get really bad. Like making yellow pages was really hard and expensive. And then the computer made it really cheap to make yellow pages. Remember those four or five years when you had like three different yellow pages from three different yellow page companies. But the technology that makes it easier ultimately kills it in the end. (laughs) So those computers that made making the yellow pages easier ultimately killed off the yellow pages. And I feel the same way for gasoline cars. I just don't see why 20 years from now, people are going to be driving gasoline cars. So Thomas, I have a question for you, but before I ask my question, I'm going to make make a couple comments. Because um, when I ask my question, I'm pretty sure you're going to take it around with it. So the couple comments that I have is, A, it's genius, your analogy of uh, a computer company making a car. I mean, it's like when a computer company made a cell phone. And of course, I'm talking about Apple making its iPhone. It revolutionized the uh, the cell phone industry. Um, and of course, you made the analogy of you know Fords and buggies, which and then you then you brought it back and you talked about Ford mocking Tesla, which of course you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's the future. Um, and I've 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 seen Teslas before. I've never actually driven one. Um, a lot of my Tesla experience comes with uh, pulling Tesla drivers over as a police officer in my in my former career. And uh, you're right, those things get up and go. And I guess it's just such a smooth ride that people don't even realize when they're doing 60 and a 35. But uh, but yeah, so uh, so they, they, they do have some uh, speed limit busting potential. 
But at the same time, and we've discussed this on a former show, when you're driving a Tesla, the Tesla technology itself has so many sensors and uh, human error correcting items in it that driving 60 in a Tesla uh, that is semi-automated might, and I'm just saying might here because I'm kind of, because I can't prove this in any way. But I think it might be safer than driving 35 in, in an old-fashioned car with just the human being at the steering wheel. Oh, absolutely. So, so I mean, that that's an interesting perspective, right? Yeah, you can bust the speed limit, but you're going to be so much safer because the Tesla car will stop you as a driver before you make a terrible mistake. And it's got all these sensors to you know help, help stop you from making terrible uh, driver mistakes. So it's an interesting point. Um, my only question, Thomas, is as someone, as someone who drives uh, long distances regularly... My only qualms with battery-operated cars is, you know, when you're lo- running low on fuel, and I actually had this discussion with somebody the other day, is the problem with alternative fuels is the fact that the infrastructure is just so stuck in gasoline, it's one of the barriers to entry for any type of, of, of alternative market. And, and until, and I believe it's an if, not a when, or a when, not an if, until the price of gasoline becomes so exorbitantly stupid that uh, it makes um, you know Teslas and electric cars viable again, like it did briefly in 2008-2009, or maybe it was previous. I can't remember, but around that time frame, you know, the, there was a spike in sales of hybrid cars, especially, but also you know uh, electric pure cars uh, and the Priuses, etc. Because the price of oil had gotten so ridiculously stupid that that gasoline was just it was painful to buy. So all of a sudden, it made sense to buy these these hybrid vehicles. So my question to you, getting back to my question, is on these long-distance drive for an electric-only car, what is the charge time on this Tesla? And I can pull over to any gas station on my route from Austin to DFW and fill up on gas and five minutes later be back on the road. What is the answer for when your battery is low on charge on a long-distance drive? So when when I was driving the Tesla, I, th- I want to say it was like 70 or 80% full charged on the battery. And it had enough miles left in the battery to get us to Dallas with driving around in Dallas left over. So the battery can handle almost all drives you'd ever want to do um, without needing to charge along the way. And um, Tesla has been rolling out charging stations. And I know Walmart's been putting in charging stations. And that's why I am saying, you know, 20 years from now, I don't see why anyone would drive anything else. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be this tipping point where we're already at like enough charging stations for you to live your life. And a lot of businesses now have, you know, special charging station parking spots, um, which I hear in Silicon Valley, actually, like there's fights in the parking lot over because there's not enough parking spots because everyone's moving over to Tesla cars. Um, but uh, it's, it becomes a very smart business move. If there is a Burger King and a McDonald's, and let's say I am a hardcore McDonald's fan, but I'm driving a Tesla and the Burger King has an open charging spot in their parking lot and the McDonald's doesn't guess where I'm eating my lunch. I'm eating at the place at the charging place. And so the charging of your car is going to be seen in my opinion, more and more as a way of drawing people into your retail establishment. And we're not going to need gas stations as much. It'll just be a part of the um, driveway infrastructure. Uh, but you know, and, and supposedly people have driven across the country in Tesla's that's not really what they're meant for. But in reality, that's not what most people do with their driving. And they've already developed technology. Uh, I think Chevrolet has this with the Chevy Volt, where there is a gas engine, but it just generates electricity to charge the electric motor. 
So the engine just generates electricity. It's still a quote electric car. And with that, you get kind of the best of both worlds. So it's just a big alternator. Right. Uh, so you could drive across the country and you just keep burning gasoline to generate the engine. But if you're only driving around town, you may never have to put more gas in your car. Uh, so, uh, but you don't really, as battery technology gets better and as charging places get more frequent, you know, no one really notices the fact that their iPhone really only lasts eight hours, the battery, because you're constantly plugging it in everywhere you go. And, and that's how Teslas are going to be. You plug it in when you go to work, you plug it in when you go to the store, you get a really nice charge overnight when you go home. Um, the one downside of a Tesla is that it really requires you to have a house. <laughs> you can't have an apartment. Um, unless your apartment complex for some reason has electric car charging uh, stations, which I have not seen any apartment complexes with that. So the infrastructure is not there. Yeah, the, the infrastructure is not there right now, but it's not complicated. It's just electricity. I mean, we already have electricity all over everywhere. You can go anywhere in the state of Texas and you can get an electrical wire out to where you are, uh, or at least anywhere that you'd ever want to be. Maybe if you're in the middle of the desert, they won't run a line, but I think they'll, they'll still run a line if you're in the middle of the desert. I think that's the policy. Um, so it, it's not that complicated to add a charging station. You just need an electrician to come and install it, which if you compare that to how difficult it was to add a gas station, I mean, just think about the complexities of adding a gas station. You have to build a whole new building. You have to dig this giant hole in the ground to put a tank in and you have to, you know, it's very complicated and expensive, whereas you can add an electric charging uh, station for you know, a fraction, a tiny fraction of that cost. So I have experienced the future. <laughs> I have traveled into the future and I get back into my car and I'm like, I enjoy driving my car and I still enjoy driving my car, but I now enjoy driving my car a little bit less because I know what it could be if it were an electric car and also perfectly quiet. And uh, which you were talking about the safety. I saw a video of somebody driving a Tesla and two cars in front of them of him were getting into an accident. The Tesla detected the accident before it happened and started applying the brakes as the accident was happening. We're talking faster than human reflexes. And he came to a safe stop right in front of the collision as it finished happening. He was not involved in the collision at all. That is amazing. If, if that were a regular car, it could have been this huge pileup of cars. But because his Tesla was smart enough to detect the collision, it prevented the accident from getting worse than it was. And that's where we're headed with self-driving cars. And uh, there's cameras everywhere and sensors everywhere. We were pulling out of his garage when we were first leaving. It was telling us, like, within six inches how far away we were from the wall. I mean, it was, it was just a car. How long does a car take to charge? I, I can't remember if you said this already, but I'm just trying to do the math in my head. So if you're on a long-haul trip, like like uh, back when I was active duty military, I've made several uh, cross-country drives. Um, and I mean cross-country. I mean across the country. So, you know, you try to do that trip in as short as time as possible. Um, and I'm, there was, there was a couple times where I did the, uh, Austin to California trip, um, in about 23 hours. And that's with me stopping, getting about a four hour nap in between in a parking lot somewhere. And then I, and I took off again, you know, I was going for the land speed record, not really, but kind of, um, and, and so I'm wondering what's the charge time. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking ahead to the future. All of a sudden now hotels become gas stations, gas stations become hotels, Maybe instead of, you know, you have to buy the room by the day, maybe you have like a little napping couch uh, for, for a few hours. So, uh, yeah, back to the question. How long does it take to charge? 
So currently I'm on Tesla's website right now and they say it takes about 30 minutes uh, to charge. So it's about about enough time to get a coffee or a bite to eat. Uh, so it's it's not as fast as a you know filling up with gas that probably takes five minutes I would guess uh, to fill up a tank of gas depending on uh, very you know how big your tank is and all of that. Um, but if you think about it, when you're on a journey, so I'm thinking of when let's say my wife and I we travel to Dallas, uh, we stop at Bucky's every time, and we probably <laughs> yeah. spend twenty minutes in the Bucky's uh, uh, easily, just wandering around decompressing from i-35 and bucky's currently doesn't have any recharging spots or at least not that i've noticed i will say as somebody who doesn't drive a tesla it's not like i have my eyes out for them uh, but i could totally see bucky's in the future adding charging to their parking lot which for bucky's would be brilliant because if you've never been to a bucky's it's like this superstore of travel and you know touristy knickknacks and food and you can very easily wander around one for 30 minutes and from a marketing perspective, the cost of getting somebody into the door, like drawing a stranger into your door, is really high. Like you spend a lot of money on TV and radio to like get the word out, and by adding a charging stations a station, you spend a single amount of money to get it installed, and you get a constant return. So let's say it takes it costs ten thousand dollars to add a charging spot, and you know you can add ten for a hundred thousand. You might, oh gosh, that's a lot of money. Like, yeah, that's, you know, a month's worth of television <laughs> to advertise your store. <laughs> you sacrifice one month of television to sacrifice your store. Now you have 10 additional customers all the time having to spend 30 minutes wandering around because they have nothing else to do. They, they're they're trapped because they have to charge their car. Um, it's you, you have to shift your paradigm a little bit. And I will say there's a reason why Walmarts have charging stations in front of their Walmarts and that. Many of the Walmarts I've gone to have done this. I'm like, it makes a lot of sense. You know, why do you get your oil changed at Walmart? Because Walmart wants you spending an hour wandering around Walmart. You cannot wander around in Walmart without spending at least enough money to compensate them for the 50 cents worth of electricity they're putting in your car. Oh, and by the way, it's 50 cents of electricity <laughs> to charge your car as opposed really? to however much you're spending on gas. Maybe a dollar's worth of electricity. I mean, it's, it's, it's negligible, the cost uh, difference. It's so much so cheaper. this car will charge from empty to full in 30 minutes? That's what their website is saying. Uh, so That's, I, 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 was, I was totally expecting like at least four hours or something like that. So I, I think if you get, if you just plug it into a regular 110 volt jack in your house, um, I do think it takes that long. I think there's a fast charge and a slow charge. And for the fast charge, you need a more powerful plug like what you have for your dryer. Like a 220. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. and, and, but the kind that you would see at a retail establishment, you know, the like plug-in ones, would definitely be the fastest speed cost. Um, That's interesting. So, what, uh, what, do you, what do you think, because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about what you said, and I'm like, well... You know, at what point does the does the combustible engine, um, what, what, at what point does it become obsolete, extinct? And I'm thinking through all the scenarios, and, and I'm thinking about long haul trucking. You know, Do, can an electric engine provide the necessary necessary torque to be able to pull these giant rigs um, that uh, that require these big diesel engines? So here's what's crazy: long haul trucks already don't use gasoline. Yeah, Think they use diesel. It. They use diesel, which yeah. is an entirely different infrastructure. 
It's different tanks, different trucks to pull it and deliver it different pipes. I mean, think about the cost of rolling out diesel, which used to be very popular. And now it with all of the scandals, Europe is like getting rid of all their diesel cars. And so I don't think that um, gasoline will go away forever or completely. I think there'll still be an appeal for it. But I wouldn't be surprised if what we end up with is electric engines generate with electricity generated from a power generator that runs on gasoline. I, I feel like the sh- for long haul truckers, yeah, maybe they aren't able to go pure electric like what we have now, but they could go something like what the Chevy Volt has where there's an electric engine. That's pulling that. Um, or maybe they continue to run on diesel and diesel actually outlives gasoline in the long term. Um, it will be interesting, though, as gas stations start to close down uh, or as they start to reinvent themselves. And I have to think about how do we entertain somebody for 20 minutes? Like, what do we do? You know, where they suddenly start to become coffee shops uh, and kind of reimagining themselves. This is the future uh, that. I see as inevitable. I, I don't see the justification as gasoline gets more expensive and as electric cars get easier. I just don't see the cost benefit analysis making sense. If, 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 if you, if they were the same cost right now, I would guess 80% of people would buy an electric car, maybe 90%. The only reason not to buy. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and you know, Tesla's sold out, right? Every car they sell is sold as soon as it rolls off the assembly line. And the next, you know, zillion cars are sold. There's a waiting list of months to buy one. And that that's what their cheapest car costing $35,000. Imagine when their cheapest car costs $20,000. I mean, they are in a market where there is as much demand as they can meet and they can grow just as fast as they can grow. And that's that's remarkable. And you know what? doesn't sound that unlike what happened with the Model T. <laughs> so we'd had cars before the Model T, but the Model T was the first one to get the price down where it made sense. And uh, it's it's just it's, it was just an amazing driving experience, Dustin. I just I, I can't tell you what it was like. Uh, you just are going to have to experience it. So if any of you out there listening are driving a Tesla and you want to give out some test drives, do let us know. <laughs> we can maybe convert Dustin over. Maybe we get Tesla to sponsor our show. <laughs> there you go. Somebody tweet Elon Musk. Tell him the Liberty Buzzard is looking That's for right. sponsor. Hey, I have a question about Tesla, and maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe you don't, but um, I'm only very tangentially familiar with Tesla, and that's only what I read in the papers, and I really don't read very long in those articles. What is um, what is what is the big factor in the cost of production right now that's making the Tesla so expensive? Because I understand, I, I think I read a while back um, that they were trying to make a more, uh, maybe pedestrian is not the right word, a more democratic Tesla that was within the, within the reach of, you know, uh, your normal wage worker. What what's what's the what's the what's the big barrier right there that's keeping them from making a mass-produced car? Um, so I'm not an expert on like car economics. Um, I will say that one of the challenges in general is a limit on um, lithium-ion batteries. So the Tesla runs on lithium-ion batteries, just same kind of battery that your uh, phone runs on that your laptop runs on and you're like aren't lithium-ion batteries you know can't they explode in certain circumstances if they overheat and you're like yeah they can but you know what else can explode a 20 gallon tank of gasoline (laughs) so it's like remember it's not about outrunning the bear here it's about outrunning the other hiker and in this case the other hiker is incredibly dangerous you're driving around in a car with a giant bomb underneath we just take it for granted in the movies that some guy with a pistol shoots at a car and it explodes into this giant fireball which is actually fake news 
Fun fact, Thomas, that's all Hollywood nonsense. It is fake news. A car is very combustible, A, because your tires are made out of uh, mostly oil, uh, which is why they burn so long. However, most people think that when you get into a wreck uh, in one of those uh, very rare, I'll mention, very rare, but it does happen, wrecks where the car catches fire uh, and the occupants inside burn to death. Um, most people think that the gasoline engine explodes. That is false. What usually happens is it's a, there's a gasoline leak, uh, it catches fire, and it slowly, it's not an explosion, uh, where you know you have uh, a rapid acceleration of gases within a confined space. Uh, it's, it's just more like a, a gradual burn. And it does catch fire really fast, but it's not an explosion. And just, just for any listener out there, if you do, you God forbid, if you do get in a wreck and your airbags deploy, most people freak out and think that their car is smoking and catching on fire. No, it's either steam coming from your engine compartment as the, uh, as the, as the coolant leaks off or, and or it is the uh, is the chalky materials, chalky substance from inside the airbag, which is actually just clouding up, uh, just clouding up your your engine compartment. So, you know, little little uh, little little tip from friendly uh, local former police officer is if you get in a collision, don't panic and think your car is catching on fire, but do try to get out as soon as possible. That uh, that that's your fun fact for the day, Thomas. Yeah, there you go. Pro tip. And I, I was about to say, actually, the Hollywood puts dynamite in there cars to make the explosions more more exciting more uh, more explodey yeah more exploding a little bit of, a little bit of hollywood magic i googled while you were talking though why are tesla cars so expensive and it does well part of it's just supply and demand so as the supply goes up the cost is going to go down that's probably the biggest thing but they're also talking about lithium-ion batteries and there are certain rare earth um, minerals that go into lithium-ion batteries that only come from like a handful of places in the world i remember reading about this there was and a lot of these places are like in africa where the working conditions aren't very good and what apple did was they just bought an entire mine i think it was a magnesium mine some very rare um metal and they bought the whole mine (laughs) so that they can ensure that the workers are treated well and they could also ensure that they had enough of whatever this mineral was that they needed to make their batteries so the uh, demand for batteries is just blowing up everything has a a lithium-ion battery now and a tesla car has a lot of lithium-ion batteries. I mean, we're talking the entire bottom of it, from what I understand, is just one giant battery because uh, it requires a lot of electricity. So it's so it, now instead of a bunch of little hamsters running on a wheel, it's a bunch of little iPhones running on a wheel? That's right. And, you, and Tesla actually also makes solar roofs uh, and battery packs for your house. Yes, so you I was going to bring your, that up. You can yes. get your cost of driving your Tesla car down to free, <laughs> potentially. You buy enough batteries and enough solar charging. Uh, it's a to- you're, You could live off the grid with Tesla technology. It's uh, Elon Musk is really is Iron Man in the sense that he's got this new vision for uh, power and electricity and where it's going to come from. I think that in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of haters of Elon Musk out there. I'm not an Elon Musk hater. Um, I appreciate his brilliance uh, in a lot of ways. You know, A, you know, the Tesla and what he's doing, but what he's doing generally with power, like you said. And uh, I think one of the only things, aside from not just having the cash on hand, but, you know, if I had the cash on hand, I think the only thing that would really make me hesitate on buying one of those house batteries is the fact of my knowledge of lithium-ion batteries and how they do degrade over time. So, you know, what is the useful life of a lithium-ion battery? And it's, it's really not as long as I would like it to be right now before I would have to 
theoretically replace it. So, you know, is I haven't done the cost analysis on this, so I don't know. But you know, is the uh, the is the juice worth the squeeze in this case? You know, is there a rate of return on one of these batteries? And I think that what uh, Elon Musk really wants is a replacement of the lithium-ion battery. If he could find some way to have a more efficient lithium-ion battery or just a different type of battery altogether that doesn't require rare earth minerals, that would be even superior option. Whether it's him or whether it's somebody else, I think that's really going to be one of the driving factors and one of the big revolutions in, in the future of energy is power storage. So power generation has been the focus, whether it's nuclear energy or coal energy or gasoline, et cetera, et cetera. Power generation has been the focus. But as we go to all electricity, the person who can master the art of power storage is really going to be sitting pretty. And I think that's what Elon Musk is, is, is really up to. The next trillion dollar idea is the next evolutionary jump or revolutionary jump in battery technology. I remember when we made the shift from nickel cadmium batteries to lithium ion batteries. I don't know if you remember nickel cadmium batteries, but like old laptops used to use them and old cell phones. And the big advantage of a lithium ion battery was that you didn't have to drain the battery first before you could charge it. So nickel cadmium had this memory. And if you had used half the battery and then you charged it again, you would lose some space in the battery and it didn't last very long. It wore out, you know, your 50 charges into your battery and it's, you know, half dead and lithium ion is much better. And I will say, I have read so much science on so many, like everyone knows this is the next trillion dollar idea. And there are a lot of scientists working really hard and some of them have made better batteries, but the challenge is making better batteries that are still stable and won't explode because the more energy you put into a battery, the more potential energy can come out of a battery in an uncontrolled way. And that's the challenge. The other challenge is that uh, we haven't really been working on battery technology for very long. So we, the batteries that we had in the 19, early 1900s were not that different from the battery in your car today, right? That was the only kind of battery that you needed. They had the double A's uh, came out sometime in between then, but they weren't rechargeable. And there wasn't a lot of money put into battery technology and not a lot of research because there wasn't a clear market need. And then suddenly in the eighties, cell phones and laptops started to be a thing. And suddenly batteries got to be more important and they were looking around what battery technology we ha- do we have? And none of it was very good. Also those old wireless um, phones, you remember those that you'd have a base station in your house and you'd charge your phone on the base station. And then you pull the phone oh, away. Yeah, I remember had that. the big long oh, yeah. antenna. Um, ah, those are the days <laughs> cordless phones. That's what it was called. Back with your back with your messaging machine that ran on a magnetic tape system. Yeah, I yeah. remember those. And then you could make a call because your sister was on the internet and it was using up the telephone line. Uh, <laughs> those were the days. There's, uh, there's nothing uh, quite the like problems. the early '90s. We had back in the good old days. <laughs> we had bad hair and bad internet. You kitschy stage. You have no no idea how good you have it. So, um, uh, so real quick, I do want to post a uh, correction. Um, when I was talking about Gettysburg uh, casualties, one of our listeners, uh, Tom, brought this up. Uh, I made I compared Vietnam dead to Gettysburg casualties rather than Gettysburg dead. And this is a mistake I have made in the past. Uh, it's very easy to think that somebody being dead and somebody being a casualty is the same thing, but they are not. Dustin, what is a casualty and why does it not necessarily mean that you're dead? 
A casualty is any type of situation where it's going to take a uh, soldier out of doing his job, in this case, uh, combat. So a casualty can be wounded, and your wound can come from enemy fire, friendly fire, uh, sickness. Uh, like in World War One, a majority of our casualties were actually from sickness, not actually from enemy fire. So anything that uh, that that causes a uh, someone to be degraded from the fight, so it doesn't necessarily mean dead, although dead is also accounted for in that number. Right. So there are in it typically in a battle, there's a lot more casualties than there are uh, dead. And so I apologize, although the point still remains that the Civil War was a much costlier war than any of our other wars uh, that we have fought. Uh, so. Uh, that retraction is out. And as while I'm retracting things, I should also clarify, uh, it is uh, Moore's law that dictates that computers double in speed uh, every 18 months or that transistors uh, shrink in size by half every 18 months. Murphy's law is if anything that can go wrong will go wrong, which I will say those may be more connected <laughs> than we think uh, if the robot uprising really does happen in the future. But uh, thank you to listener Tim who corrected me on that. And we do like to hear your corrections. Uh, we do this show without a lot of show notes in front of us. Uh, so a lot of uh, what I give is from memory and my memory is not always as reliable uh, as I would like it to be. So if I get a fact wrong, feel free to fact check us at libertybuzzard.com. Hey, Thomas. Yes. I, w- I want to wrap up our show with our last fun fact of the day because I think this is really interesting. So uh, you mentioned earlier in the show that uh, the batteries that we have right now in our car haven't significantly changed. And I, I went ahead and Googled it. And the old Wikipedia says that today's lead acid battery was invented by French physicist Gaston Planté in 1859. Boom! And, uh, oh, wow, that's an old battery. <laughs> and in 1999, this is still quite old data, but still, 1999, lead acid battery sales accounted for 40 to 45% of the value from batteries sold wor- worldwide, excluding China and Russia. So that's a, that's a Wikipedia stat. I haven't verified it, so take it or leave it. But uh, yeah, and fun fact. There you go. So my memory of our battery technology being old ended up not being wrong. After all, I think we should end the show there. <laughs> That's a good way to end the show, Thomas. Uh, you have been listening to Liberty Buzzard. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. Thank you for listening. This episode of Liberty Buzzard is brought to you by Tom Umstadt CPA. Tom has over 35 years of experience helping people like you pay only their fair share in taxes. Don't let the IRS stress you out. Get Tom and his team on your team at TaxmanTom.com.